and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight O Lord our strength and our Redeemer Amen A wise man once reminded us that everyone has two journeys to make through life there is the outer journey with its various incidents and milestones there is also an inner journey a spiritual odyssey with a secret history all of its own. Another wise man, the Apostle Paul, reminded us that what can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. Now it's a big decision you make as to whether you believe those statements or not. Everyone has two journeys to make through life. What can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. It's a question of whether you live your life believing that the only things that have any worth or currency or legitimacy are the things you can see. And the things you can't see are imaginary Myths, inventions of the mind, illusions, worthless illusions. People say it all the time. Seeing is believing. As if saying it often enough will make it true. Seeing is believing, they say. But I'd like to suggest that actually that's a pretty arid and inadequate way of looking at life. It limits perception, it masquerades as scientific thinking, it sells us short. If all we could experience and find inspiration in were things we could see with our own eyes, touch and handle and put under a microscope, if, if that were our only tool for dealing with the world, if that determined the extent of our universe, we would live lives impoverished, cramped, and less than fully human. For in fact, the unseen things are the things that make us. 
And truth be told, the unseen things are sometimes the ones that break us. But woe unto us if we imagine for one moment that the unseen things are not important, formative of the essence of our humanity. For it's the capacity to move beyond the confines of the purely physical, the merely material, the pragmatic and the tangible into the glorious universe of abstraction, ideas, values, feelings, spirituality, mystery. It's that capacity that makes us willing to dare that challenges us to embrace our full humanity. Limit yourself to some half-baked, pseudo-scientific, seemingly hard-nosed realism. The old, if you can't show me it, prove it to me, put it in a petri dish and examine it, then I don't want to know. And I certainly won't give any credibility to it or any worth placed on it. Limit ourselves to that circumscribed and inadequate worldview and we find ourselves heading up a cul-de-sac and straight into a brick wall. It sounds so reasonable but it doesn't fit life. It simply doesn't work as a way of experiencing who we are, how the world is, how we function as real people in this very real world. In order to understand ourselves and the universe we inhabit, we need something bigger than seeing is believing. The disciple Thomas, famous for his capacity to doubt, says it for the skeptics. Unless I see, touch, handle, feel, I will not believe. In response to that narrow materialism, Christ says it for the people who appreciate that it's more complicated, more complex than that. There are different ways of knowing and understanding. Christ says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Which, by the way, would be 99.999999% of believers who have ever being Christians or are Christians. Gullible dupes all. Or folk who realise that actually none of us lives without faith. Nor can we. Folk who came to understand the wisdom that lies in that reminder that for every complex question there is a simple answer and it's always wrong. Because complex questions are precisely that complex. And our human reality is exactly that, complex, multi-layered, searching, deep. And if we're honest, if we're living our real lives in the real world, we will find it is more full of mystery and unanswered and maybe unanswerable questions than we might choose. But this is how it is. And people who really think about it come to appreciate that reality cannot be understood on the basis of one simple, oft-repeated mantra. Seeing is believing. Regardless of how many times it's repeated, it won't do, it doesn't fit, it isn't enough. Not for your life or mine or for anyone's. We all of us step across that 
arbitrary limit constantly, without blushing with shame that we've overstepped some imagined boundary of rationality in countless ways, in a multitude of situations, both consciously and unconsciously, we believe without seeing on a daily basis, an hourly basis. And ironically enough, the things we believe without seeing tend to be the most important things in our life. Where it really matters, where belief is most passionately held, where the issues are most pertinent and profound. We do it all the time. We unashamedly and with barefaced resolution move beyond the material to the spiritual, from the tangible and temporal to the unseen and eternal. The writer Leonard Griffiths posts this warning. There is a world of computers and there is a world of cathedrals. And God's word tells us that we are citizens of both these worlds. One, a visible, fluctuating, transient world. The other, an invisible, constant, imperishable world. One, a world of revolution. The other, a world of revelation. One, a source of unrest and anxiety. The other, a source of quietness and stability. The one, a world of the body. The other, a world of the spirit. These two worlds, both real, says Griffiths, are under God's sovereignty and they come together in Jesus Christ. And to live in Christ is to live in both these worlds, facing up to the challenge of one and yet finding in the other our source of sanity and peace. This is in no way to demean the process of scientific thought and investigation. That wonderful human endeavour that seeks to make sense of the world and unravel its mysteries. But it is to recognise that even that enterprise involves belief. Indeed, not only embraces that dynamic, but actually depends upon it. If the scientific adventure is to take us anywhere. Sir Richard Gregory, the former editor of Nature, warns against a simplistic understanding. He says, science is not to be regarded merely as a storehouse of facts used for material purposes, but as one of the great human endeavours, ranked with the arts, with religion, as the guide and expression of man's fearless quest for truth. Or as they say on Star Trek, to boldly go where no man has gone before. The essential presumption of the scientific discipline is that we're required to move beyond what we know and bravely explore the realm of what we don't know. What is mere hypothesis. The creed of, I wonder if we did this, what would happen? Imagine we looked for this as yet unknown possibility. What might we end up with? Without that courageous step into the unknown, science would be sterile and static. Once the scientist has a conviction that such a possibility, as yet unrealised and uninvestigated, might yield some truth, then the universe begins to surrender its secrets. Earnest, unshakable convictions about cause and effect, 
the profound belief that there are answers out there. There, there will be answers. What do you think drives all these people doing research into cancer? Because they believe there's an answer. That a solution does exist. And we can't see them at the moment, but with our whole heart we believe that they are there to be found. That's what drives every researcher, every divisor of a hypothesis, as he or she strives to unpick the puzzle that is the world. Max Planck said, when the pioneer in science sends forth the groping feelers of his thoughts, he must have a vivid, intuitive imagination. For new ideas are not generated by deductions, but by an artistically creative imagination. A firm belief that there is order, there are systems to be uncovered and understood, and the scientist believes that with his whole being and her whole being an internal logic to reality. There are reasons to be found. That's why we've got to keep looking, folks. Searching in the mist. Searching in the mystery. And despite countless setbacks, the scientists will drive towards those solutions armed with a conviction that they will find the key that will unlock the enigma. That's a massive, profound tenet of faith. A credo held with deep fervour goes beyond the known and takes us into the unknown. And this is how we live our real lives, in real relationship with the real world. We go beyond the seen to embrace the unseen or we die. When, when couples take their vows of marriage, they go into the future of that relationship in faith. Who knows what the future will be like for them? What challenges they'll have to struggle with together. The future waits for them like a giant question mark. But they bring to that commitment certain indicators, certain pointers. They bring the evidence of their love. They bring what they know and experience of their relationship with each other. It's not cast iron. It's not rock solid. It's not incontrovertible proof. Their marriage is a step of faith. And there will always be a huge element of trust. Because love is not one of those things you can place under a microscope and slice into bits and examine and break down into its constituent parts. It can be experienced and celebrated and enjoyed, but it can't be calculated or weighed, dissected like a specimen. It can be believed and lived Love, the most important experience that we can know, is rooted and grounded in faith and belief and trust. All intangible and surprising and capricious and dangerous. But it doesn't sit comfortably in a pseudo-scientific age that says, Oh, if you can't see it, if you can't touch it, if you can't feel it, it's not there, it's not real. That said, we can well understand that people like to bolster up their convictions with as much tangible proof as they can find, as much hard evidence as they can find. And we none of us like to think we're being led by the nose, that we're being naive. And of course, all the good philosophers remind us that the more outrageous the claim, 
the more evidence you need to back it up. Yet in truth, for most of us, there will be no sightings of the Saviour. There will be no opportunity to put our hands in his wounds. Like Thomas in that upper room. We should be so lucky. For most of us, and and this is the big miracle, is it not? We come to faith by some other way. Something unseen and intangible. A slow dawning realization. A quiet moment movement of the Spirit of Christ. A word that summons us deep in our soul. And it won't let go of us. And we can't let go of it. Because we know it's true. And we find it irresistible. The truth of the gospel takes root in our soul. And we can't explain it adequately. But... The word of Christ sounds in our heart and and wins our love and gains our loyalty. That's the big miracle. That's more miraculous to me than putting your hands and some fingers in someone's hands. All these people all across the world, different countries, different languages, have served and loved this Christ and given their lives and worked till their backs broke. And they've never seen him. They've never had a a manifestation of his presence. And yet he owns their heart. He rules in their heart. For our doubting times, Maroon so often in the midst of a narrow rationalism, a rather misguided, profoundly unscientific mode of thought, the invitation to people with open hearts and open minds is not accept all the theories and theologies of the church. It's not look carefully at the church's record of intellectual integrity and argument. Think about those great thinkers who were also men and women of faith. That's not the invitation. It is to open our hearts to the risen Lord Jesus who comes into our troubled existence with the same reassuring word, his very self. This is who we are. People for whom the material is not enough. The cultural and the aesthetic are not enough. The emotional universe seems to be inadequate to deal with our complexities, our wholeness. When the chips are down, we respond spiritually, we hurt spiritually, we engage spiritually. So we go with him into the unknown, into the mist. And all we have, all we have, and yet somehow it is enough, is that we hear his call in our heart. Follow me. Follow me. And we do. We do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to sit for a few moments of reflection and choir will lead us in that and then we'll bring our prayers for others.